no, so I think that the values and virtues are like spirit. Uh, the reading to feed my mind is new knowledge. So like right now I'm reading a book on blockchain because I recognize it's important, but I don't really understand it. So, and I know that in order to really understand it, if I dedicate a hundred hours to a topic, I'll know more than 95% of the population. And then I'll understand things like NFTs and things like smart contracts and things like, and, and I can see how, you know, it was interesting recently because I'm reading that book, there was an issue of identity with like, you know, your Apple ID. And I clicked for me immediately. I'm like, oh yeah, like blockchain would fix that. That, that would fix that problem immediately. But I wouldn't have known that if I wasn't like, you know, constantly reading things because I do believe. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. Guys, today I get to have Aaron Novella on the show, someone who has sold about 2,000, maybe over 2,000 homes, and he's got over 120 agents that he coaches in U.S. and in Canada. And today we're going to be talking about several things, one of which is going to be how he got to a $2 million net worth but still felt broke and how he's changed that up to actually live a life of much greater freedom. We're going to talk about the short game versus the long game and a lot of other things on the show. So if you're someone that either is looking to build a net worth or maybe you have some net worth, but you still feel like you're living a, a really small lifestyle, we're going to get into today. This episode's for you. Aaron, thank you so much. Take us right into it. Give us a scene and a picture. You have $2 million in net worth. You feel broke. Why? And, and then tell us where you went from there. Yeah, so I was following the kind of traditional guidance, which was kind of Dave Ramsey, pay off, you know, your, your primary residence and, you know, invest all your money into retirement accounts. And that, I mean, it works. I'm not saying that it's bad. I think it's a good foundation. So let's talk about it works. Uh, so when you say it works, what do you mean? Yeah, what I mean is, is I think for the majority of people, they want to play short games, not long games. So the difference is, is that they want like, they want it immediately. Right? They don't want to take the time to build like a really solid foundation. So I want to play games that if I wait, I win. And the reason I want to play games that if I wait, I win is because very few people are willing to play them. Like I think producing uh, favorable outcomes, I don't want to use the word success or failure because those have like judgment in them, but instead producing the outcome that you ultimately wish to produce is really about doing certain things, fundamental things over an unreasonable amount of time. So it's like volume over time, it's V over T. So I think we drastically underestimate the volume of activity that's required over an extended period of time in order to get the 1% outcome. Cause everybody wants the 1% outcome, but I'd love to be able to like outsource pushups to the Philippines and like I get diesel, like that doesn't work. So I have to build a foundation, right? So I think having a foundation of living within your means, which is what we did, like as income grew, I didn't grow lifestyle uh, to the same proportion. And investing the difference is a very good behavior to um, like adopt or create for yourself, right? Like a habit. So that habit was very helpful because I think for, particularly for high earners, people who are earning high income, they think that an investment is going to get them freedom when the strongest asset that they have is their income, right? So, so they, before they we start dive into the like, income part, I yeah. want to step back just a second. So basically what you're saying is you're talking a little bit about short game and long game. And you're talking about investing. So if we talk about the good points of Dave Ramsey, it's the saving, living below your means yeah. and investing. That's the yes. good part. 
Now you're talking yeah. about that being the short game though. I mean, yes. How, how is, how is putting a little bit of money every month and waiting for the retirement to hit 30 years, the short game? Yeah, because I'm waiting for a time a, that I may never get to, uh, and B there's no freedom in it. So I was, I remember where I was, I was at an event, uh, a learning event, and I was listening to a podcast and I heard Grant Cardone say something. He said, having all your money tied up in your house and in a retirement plan is another form of poverty. Now, when he said that, I know, you know, that's a kind of charged statement. I don't know where it's going to get people's attention, but I really started to ponder it. Like Matt, I literally had to sit down with a journal and like unpack that statement. Like, what does that really mean? And as I started to look at it, because I did have a home that was free and clear at the time, I did have a meaningful kind of, you know, amount saved for retirement. And yet I didn't feel wealthy. I still had to sell real estate in order to pay bills. I didn't have residual income that was greater than housing, transportation, food, and insurance. So once I heard that, that radically shifted my thinking. And I moved away from fully funding retirement accounts, which I no longer do, and instead started to aggressively put money into assets that pay me money. Cash flow. And that was like, yeah, like cash flow. So I had How to- How is that not the short game? Because essentially, right, you're in, in your version, which I, I totally agree with, by the way, we do the same thing, but- in your version, you're actually collecting cash now. That seems like a faster or shorter game. Well, I think it's, all, I, I would propose it's the long game in the sense that like why. ultimately, yeah, the, the reason is, is because whatever your hustle is, whether it's podcasting, selling real estate, wholesaling, like I don't care what you do, you're a chiropractor. It's just a mechanism to raise cash. What most people do though, then is they never take that cash and buy back time. So the idea is, is the long game is the repurchasing of time, okay. right? Instead of just increasing lifestyle, it's, it's the repurchasing of time. And people are so stuck in short games, Matt. They're so stuck in collecting cash for trading time for money. They never pick their head up long enough to think about the long game. Yeah. And, and what they do then is, is they put their, they put their time and energy into things that don't compound. So the problem with like, uh, let's say trading time for money is there's no compounding component to it. It doesn't get bigger as time progresses. Right. And there's a limit to the amount of time that I, that's, that I can like what I can charge for my time. Even if I, you know, like in coaching environments, if I'm on a group call, it might be worth, you know, five, six, seven, $8,000 an hour, but there's still a limit to it. Whereas if I'm paying attention to the long game over a reasonable amount of time, 10, 15 years, you can pick your head up. And now you have cash flow that pays for housing, transportation, food, and insurance. And then you're financially free and independent. You can be much more bolder in the decisions that you make in your business, much more bolder in decisions you make about um, going after different vehicles or different opportunities. Absolutely. And the, the getting the time back is where it's all at and, and, and our perspective, right? Because it's the freedom that you get to do what you want. It's also the freedom if you want to continue to do more business to work on your business instead of in your business, et cetera. And so let's talk about like a little bit more of the specifics. So you had $2 million in net worth, more or less, you know, at this mm -hmm. point in, in the journey, what did you do? Did you sell your house? Right. And if you're married, how did you explain that to your wife? Like, give us the nuts and bolts. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that's a really good question. I didn't, I didn't sell any assets. What I said to myself is like, okay, that's a, a, a solid foundation. And for the stuff that I've, you know, if, if you understand compounding, 
And I know that everything is everything has a risk. I think people go through life, Matt, imagining that they can avoid risk. You can't. You just get to choose the risk that you want to take. So leaving your money in the bank is a risk. You don't think it is, but it is because it's going down in value and all currencies eventually go to zero. So, but investing is risky. So I don't get to, I can't avoid risk. I just get to choose the risks that I want to take. And I thought to myself, I'm like, okay, I don't need to keep fully funding retirement accounts because if I leave them alone for the next 30 years, and again, this is based on, you know, historical data, maybe plus or minus a little bit, there's bumps along the road, but let's say you get 2% in dividends and 5% in growth cumulatively over 30 years. Well, that means every 10 years it doubles. So if I leave it alone and don't touch it, it, that by itself will be more than enough. I no longer need to focus on that. And the reason why most people fully fund those is because they get a tax break, but it's not even that big of a tax break. Versus now, if I can invest capital into, into assets that pay me cash flow today, so I'm buying back time today, plus I get tax benefits, that's a more efficient use of capital. So it was more like an awareness. And I just have the good fortune where my significant other, I know sometimes people are in dynamics where like one is more perhaps money conscious than the other, or one is a saver and one is a spender. That's not the case for me and my wife. And we both have the same value, which is the thing that I value the most is freedom. I remember being on a mastermind call with a group of guys and they call themselves like a funny name, like, you know, an alpha kind of name, but they're a cool group of guys. And one of them was like, Hey, it's watch Wednesdays. And they all show their brighter lanes and Rolexes. And I show my Apple watch. And I was like, Hey guys, let's do this now. Now let's show our investment accounts. Yeah, buddy. And it was fucking crickets, man. Like nobody said anything. And the whole point was there is like, you're focused on the wrong things. Yeah. It's not that there's anything wrong with those nice things, but there should be three rules around it. One is if you can't buy it twice in cash, don't buy it. You can't afford it. Number two is it needs to come out of cash flow, not earned income. And number three, don't try to justify it. If it's stupid, it's stupid. You like it, you want it, you love it, you're into watches, fine, do it. But don't try to be like, it's going to help me in my business or something like that, right? So yeah, it was just that one phrase, Matt. Having all your money trapped in your house and in your retirement account is another form of poverty. Literally melted these sacred cows that were in my brain. And I began to shift to then... Um, but like dumping money into syndications because I love having access to commercial institutional grade real estate. I just don't believe that it makes sense for me personally to spend my time on investments until my investments pay me more than my income. And for most people, that's probably for their whole life. <laughs> like until it's throwing off more money, because I see agents, they'll start making money and then they'll they'll stop what's making them all the money to go mess with a property that pays them like 500 bucks a month in residuals. It's like, why are you doing that? Yeah. It's not a, it's not a fair, it's not a productive trade. Right. So I started to aggressively uh, put money into that asset class um, as a mechanism to produce cash flow on a monthly basis. Incredible. And so I had an interview yesterday with Jack Gibson and he lays out basically these five phases of wealth, which lead all the way from like, you can't pay basically all of, more which are aligned with cash flow. So you can't pay your basic needs and then you can't pay it all the way up to like you have private jets and things. And so for you, like, have you thought through at what point of cash flow where you might switch back to focusing on things that could have mass net worth acceleration? Yeah. So what I'm thinking about now is what can I do? So uh, I had somebody recently in my life, I have three different coaches in my life because I firmly believe in that. 
and uh, somebody from a business perspective, who's just like a few steps ahead of me, he looked at me right on a call like this, stared me right in the eyes and said, Aaron, you're going to die with a lot of money. And it was interesting because nobody had ever said that to me before. And I think as entrepreneurs, we have this like a lot of entrepreneurs have anxiety around money. They don't come from it from a place of abundance. It's more like there's a lack of, which is part of the driving force that causes them to keep going and keep going. But I remember having a conversation with my wife. She's like, how much, like, how much is enough, bro? How much in the bank? Is it a 500,000? Is it a yeah. million? Like, what is it? Like, oh, what, right? So, but what he said to me, Matt, is like, if you're, if, if that's what's true, the game's no longer money. The game is time. And the game is impact. Yeah. So what I'm interested in doing now is focusing on things that are the highest leveraged activity, meaning um, it has the biggest multiplier effect for my time. So for every one input, I can get multiple outputs, but also that allow me to have the biggest impact, right? To impact uh, the most amount of people. Yeah. And I think if you if you lay out like some, some kind of simple rules, like filters, because as people that are like young and ambitious and enterprising and aggressive, there's going to be no shortage of opportunities, but oppor opportunities are not all equal and two things could be true at the same time. So I need a filter with which to like, say, which one is worth the time. So the first one is, is if I can't make this, this is not worth the time because as entrepreneurs, we typically have a tendency to want like every penny on the table. <laughs> it's like, oh, there's five bucks there. I want to get it. Oh, there's 10 bucks over here. I want to get it but it's not the most productive use of time. So one is if I can't make this, whatever that is for you, a hundred thousand, 200,000, a million bucks, if I can't do it, it's not worth my time. That's gonna eliminate eight out of 10 opportunities. But then with the opportunities that are left, whether it's focusing on investments, uh, which I can share you something that we're gonna start to do, um, which is more leveraged way to do it, uh, or um, you know, other business ventures or whatever is, okay, of the two that are left, which one, uh, will allow me to have the biggest impact. Which one is in alignment with problems that I'm interested in solving, like particular gifts that I may have? And then which one provides me with the most margin with time, money, and energy? And then you'll end up with one, which is like the whale. And when you end up with that one, I stack the thing that's my most valuable asset, which is my time. I'm just going to stack it on that one thing that has the biggest multiplier. Now, as far as like focusing on uh, investments, something that I'm exploring now, I just bought a short-term rental. Um, but there's somebody in my life who he's a partner with me at EXP and he owns 50 of them here in South Florida. He manages 150 of them. So he's a world-class operator. So the only reason I'm interested in messing with it is because I have a world-class operator. Otherwise I wouldn't screw with it. I'm not interested in taking courses and trying to figure that shit out because it's not a productive use of my time. And I don't mean that egotistically, it's just true. So because he's a world-class operator, um, we're starting to toy with, uh, you know, with friends and family, like doing a raise and then he would, he would run. Yeah. So, so Do doing like a syndication, but he, he, yeah. And he runs, he manages it because he has that completely dialed in. Like he has, you know, he owns the cleaning company. He's vertically integrated. Like he has the whole thing dialed in. So I can use my, uh, kind of influence or my network and, um, he can use his superpower and together we can, you know, help people. And that's just a much more leveraged thing. So now instead of me doing it all myself, I'm leveraging labor, other people's labor, but I'm also leveraging capital which is other people's thing and software because he has the software for all that other, you know, for the scheduling and things of that nature. That's incredible. And I mean, that's, there's so many lessons that, that are in there. I mean, obviously you talk about, uh, it's not a good use of your time. You know, for most people, there is one, maybe two things that they could do at a world-class level. 
and and really really excel at you know and so if, if you do that and you just leverage all these other like the who not how concept it, it creates accelerations that are just unbelievable because even if you could take two years or five years and become a world-class operator is it really worth it as opposed to going 10 times deeper in one and just finding people that have already spent the 10 years um, yeah exactly and my life has changed when i like stop looking at people as competitors and started yes. looking at them as collaborators especially when they're the which same is like hey like yeah. So it's like, Hey, this, this person is a world-class, like I'm, I'm just interested in partnering with world-class operators and my life over the last three years has changed dramatically because I have partnered with world-class operators. Like, Hey, you're the bomb at like these huge apartment buildings. Great. I'm just going to ride your coattails. Hey, you know how to do this really well. Great. Like I'm going to partner with you or, Hey, you know, you're really good at real estate. Like with this EXP thing, it gives us a platform where we can partner. I can open up the kimono and share with you everything that I'm doing. So, um, and then the other thing that came up for me, Matt, as you were speaking is I don't know anything that provides a bigger return on capital than your own skills. Like yeah. people are like, oh, you're going to earn 10%, bro. You can double your income in a year with the, like you're one relationship away from changing your family tree forever. So like people get confused with that. They want to like focus on, oh, I got to buy all this stuff. It's like, wait, you should pour into yourself way more, right? Because again, if, if the main thing, you know, there's a saying that says like, how you get wealthy is by taking uh, a lot of risk or yeah, a lot of risk with a little bit of money. But the way you stay wealthy is by taking a lot of money and taking a little bit of risk. Exactly. The big difference. So if, if I can just get wealth, my, yeah, you go. If I could just get my skills to such a degree where I can raise the whole reason why people have to be creative is because they don't have any cash. Yeah. <laughs> That's the whole reason for creative finance. It's the whole reason for that whole world. Right. But if you could just get your skills to such a degree where you are constantly replenishing cash all the time, then you could just take that and take a little bit of risk with it and you'll live a very comfortable life. Everyone who listens to our show knows Tim and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times that you've watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did, but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. The results prove this out. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secrets that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is not something that we're okay with. The benefit of working with Tim and I is that we are interviewing between five and 20 people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven-figure strategies and gotten inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We're able to work with you to pick the strategy that will best fit and then help you create the custom plan to take you quickly into financial freedom. As a former math teacher, I always taught my students that the fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us. And let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. This is such a great lesson. I actually really learned this to it. Like you learn, in my opinion, when you learn lessons, you learn them in phases. Like you could, you could hear the concept then, and you can even acknowledge it, say that's true. Okay. But then you hear that concept a year later and it just hits deeper and you realize, oh, I went 20% of the way there. I didn't go hundred percent. I heard that concept again about a year ago when I actually saw somebody's financial statements. And this is something I've been so excited about is being in groups where people just show their tax returns. They show their bank accounts because you get to see what's you know, not true, what people are just feeding you and what's real. 
And what I realized is like, oh my gosh, like this specialization thing, I mean, it's real. Like one guy over here goes, okay, I'm going to stay in my lane. And he makes two to $5 million a year. I make less, but I make, you know, money in these other areas. But it's like, he just spits off the cash to these world-class operators in the form of funds and syndications and investments. And when you look at the path of progress, he's kicking my butt. Um, yeah. And, and when you look at like, you, when you look at the full picture of life, right, you're also talking about a simplicity. Like when you do one thing, life can get very, very, very simple. Um, and so I, I love what you're saying here. And I, I want to ask along that line, what is Aaron Novello's superpower? Yeah. So uh, that's a good question. I think that I, um, there's a couple things that I'm particularly, uh, that I spent a lot of time cultivating the skill. I think one is I can learn quickly. I can synthesize information and then I can share it in easily digestible bites that makes it easier for people to kind of understand. And that's required because if you want to do something big, you have to sell others on your vision, right? You have to be able to cast a clear vision and get them bought into it and excited about it. And that is a skill. The second is, is I've spent kind of a nauseating amount of time practicing the skill of persuasion like presenting and, you know, kind of handling objections and closing and that sort of thing. And, um, yeah, I, I think that those two things are things that I'm particularly skilled at. And my whole staff now, we, they all understand and know that their job is just to keep me in the thing I'm good at. Cause if you follow me around, like if you need something fixed around the house, I'm not your guy. Like, like people have a tendency, they only see me in the gift, right? But like, if you follow me around other stuff, like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but in those areas, yeah, I got it dialed in. Right. So, so it's just surrounding yourself. I think that's perhaps the third skill is being able to truly delegate. Uh, because I, I, I think a lot of people say that they delegate, but they really don't. They like hover over people because they're, they, they need to be in control. So being able to surround myself with people that are really good at what they do so they can keep me in what I'm really good at, what I'm really good at. Your perfect day for max productivity, what would it look like? Yeah. So the perfect day for max productivity would be one is like at the beginning of the day, pouring into myself a lot, because I know that as I grow more, I can give more. And uh, if I'm going to be like a source of energy or a source of inspiration or a source of motivation, um, I have to be kind of operate. I have to fill myself up. So it would include like a morning routine that includes, you know, the gym, it includes uh, cold plunge, it includes sauna, it includes breath work, uh, it includes reading, you know, um, and then being on a one to many, you know, probably giving a presentation with like a thousand plus people in the room, because it's the most impactful thing that I can do and recognize that I'm, I'm just an instrument. So in other words, like, uh, I'm the flute. My job is to make the, sure that the flute is, um, tuned and shined up nice. So that way, when the wind comes through it, it makes music, but I'm not the wind. Right. So, so being able to, uh, be a good kind of instrument and to show up fully, you know, to a room of a thousand people, give them some sort of inspiration or encouragement, um, or teach them a particular skill that'll serve them in the same way that it served me. What, what specifically and, uh, is then, wind, wind in the analogy? Yeah. So wind in the analogy, uh, we can use different words for different people, you know, cause I know people get caught up with words. They can call it source. They can call it, I don't know, divine energy. They can call it God, like whatever they want to call it. Um, 
But I think what happens is, is that the tendency for a lot of people, if they're not careful, is they get prideful. Like they think it's all me. And it's like, well, like, yeah, your work and your planning has something to do with it, but it's like not all you, like, right? So, um, and I think that that's important if you want to stay like, like balanced, grounded, and if you want to remain like a good steward, yeah, like of the resources that you've been kind of given, whether those are talents or, you know, money or whatever. Incredible. Yeah. C carry on. So you're describing your perfect day. Yeah. So a perfect day again is, uh, me just being in a room with, um, you know, a lot on, in, in the morning, you know, kind of pouring into myself because if I'm going to show up fully for people, I have to show up fully for myself. So that includes reading, uh, that includes gym, that includes cold plunge, that includes sauna. What are you, what are you reading in the morning on a perfect day? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so I'm reading something to feed my spirit, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then I'm also reading something to feed my mind. Yeah. I think those are two different things. And when you're reading right. something so to feed one your is mind, reading... is it new knowledge yeah. or is it the remembrance of values and virtues? Yeah, no. So I think that the values and virtues are like spirit. Yeah. Uh, the reading to feed my mind is new knowledge. So like mm -hmm. right now I'm reading a book on blockchain because I recognize it's important, but I don't really understand it. Yeah. So, and I know that in order to really understand it, if I dedicate a hundred hours to a topic, I'll know more than 95% of the population. Yeah. So that's a mixture of podcasts, reading like, you know, blockchain for dummies, and then I'll understand things like NFTs and things like smart contracts and things like, and, and I can see how, you know, it was interesting recently because I'm reading that book, there was an issue of identity with like, you know, your Apple ID. And I clicked for me immediately. I'm like, oh yeah, like blockchain would fix that. That, that would fix that problem immediately. But I wouldn't have known that if I wasn't like, you know, constantly reading new things because I do believe, Matt, that business, it's not a finite game, it's an infinite one. Meaning that it, 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 people have been playing it before me and you, and they'll be playing it way after. And the, the goal of Infinite Games from Simon Sinek's book is it's not to win. It's just to keep playing, provided that you have the means and that you also have the resources. Resources could be time or money. So if I want to keep playing the game, it requires that I personally be constantly evolving. I be changing my mind. I be learning new things. And with the clients that we serve, because they're high-producing, hard-charging, high-income individuals, in order for me to add value to them, I have to be constantly growing because if not, it gets stagnant. Totally. So you go through this routine, you're learning, you're cold plunging. I, I've done some cold plunging. So the value of that, obviously it wakes you up, it goes through all these health benefits. So, so you're awake, you're alive, you're learning, you're spiritually aligned, everything's set to go. Where does the day take you from there? Yeah. So currently where the day takes me from there to is a group call with uh, some of our partners uh, with EXP. Um, that's 121 agents and growing in 10 months. And that's me pouring out and sharing. Like today I was teaching them how to talk to probates. You know, when we were doing 200 deals a year, uh, I would list and sell probably 50 to 60 probates a year. So it's teaching them what to say and how to say it, teaching them, you know, how to add value to those individuals. And then it proceeds to one-on-one uh, -on -one coaching calls. Um, with me, with individuals, and then either a podcast like this or uh, some sort of stage, a physical stage or a digital stage. Yeah. What does being on a physical or di digital stage, I mean, we know the benefits, right? I mean, and I'll, basically you connect to people, you get known, all these, but what does it do for you personally to be on a physical stage or a virtual stage? Yeah, so... 
are you mean like just like a, like personally as a like as a human or personally from a business perspective? As a human. Okay. Yeah, I think um, it provides an opportunity to share. And what I don't know that we all recognize is that sharing feels much better than receiving, <laughs> like way better. So um, I, and I think that's what we're called to do. You know what I mean? Is to share, whether that's resources or time or energy or knowledge or whatever. So I think you have two choices in life. One is to be a um, kind of like a reservoir of knowledge of resources, which is where it like pools up in one place. The other is to, to behave like a river, which is where it just flows. And I know for a lot of entrepreneurs, and I can say this, I know it's a generalization, it's not everybody, but it was definitely true for me. And it's definitely true for a lot of people that I witness and watch on that journey is even though they make a lot of money, they still think poor. They're still conserving. They're still hoarding. They still have a problem letting go of capital. And to me, being on a stage, you know, I remember in one kind of setting that I was in from a learning environment, they would tell you things like, yeah, if somebody asks you what you're doing in your market, don't tell them like lie because you're training the competition. And I'm like, bro, it's such like a scarce, small, like thinking. It's like, dude, there's way more than enough. Nobody's fucking taking my lunch. Like nobody's like taking money out of my pocket. Like there's way more than enough. So it just allows me to, um, it gives me a, a platform to, to share and, and hopefully again, just have more impact. And that's incredibly gratifying. Yeah. Well, the, the analogy of the body of water, like a lake or, or whatever confined body of water in the, in the river was actually running through my mind when you were talking about net worth versus cash flow, right? And that's the beauty of cash flow is that it's, it's always flowing, whereas the lake is just, you know, if you draw from that, eventually it goes to zero, right? It dries up. But what's interesting, like about what you're saying is like, just even the formation of mindset, like if you want to be in a place where you because I mean, I, I agree with you. I think people really get a lot more value, fulfillment, joy out of giving than receiving, sharing than, than learning even. And so it's like a cash flow investment strategy allows you much easier to be in an emotional place to give all the time because you're not worried about where the next dollar is coming from. You know, it's coming tomorrow, et cetera. That's exactly right. You know, and it's interesting because all of the, you know, I don't know, major kind of uh, religious traditions have something about giving. And I think we think that it's like they're asking something from us. And I don't think that that's true. I think they want something for us. Yeah. They want us to actually feel the joy of giving and in whatever capacity, whether it's money or time or energy or knowledge or resources. Right. I mean, because when you give, it makes it allows you to feel better. It allows you to expand. And then obviously from business principles, we've seen this from all kinds of examples. Like, I mean, and all the books that have been out, The Go-Giver, and all of these books on connection that show if you have an open hand and a giving spirit, like you're going to receive a lot more as well, right? So, I mean, it'd be, it's a sad world, right, if we're all closed and we all suffer for it versus all open and we yeah. all benefit from it. Yeah, and I think you're seeing that reflected, you know, where people knock on the wrong door and like something bad happens where it's like it's starting to get like super closed off where um, – you know, I was talking to one of my partners and like he was had a question and I knew where it was coming from. It was a coming from like a protectionist place, you know, wanting to draw fences around things like this is mine and this is yours. And I said, hey, listen, brother, like I understand your concern. I know where it's coming from. I'm not saying that it's not valid. I just think that your energy is being misplaced. He's like, well, what do you mean? I said, instead of focusing on like how you can create the best fence to protect what's yours, instead what you because you should be focused on, how can I add so much fucking value? like insane amounts of value because if you do that you'll win 
period. Now, yeah. will there be people who you get to the finish line and they decide to do something else? Of course. That's natural. You can't really defend against that. You know how many times I got a seller right up to selling and then like their neighbor bought it from them or something? You know, like that's going to happen. At the same time, though, if you just maniacally focus on adding way more value than anybody else, you will win, period. Like, don't, no questions asked. 100%. Well, and, and you're obviously a study of persuasion and speaking. And so I'm sure you probably read Robert Cialdini's books. And I think one of, course, of the things yeah. that I've learned along the way is really it's giving way more than what you get, but also setting expectations. One of the things he says, I can't remember if it's in persuasion or an influence, but he basically says like when you do something for somebody and they say they're thankful and they say they can never repay you, don't say no problem. Say like, I know you would do the same thing for me if you were in the situation, right? So set the frame of like, yes, I'm doing this for you, but- you know, and I think that's huge. If people give way more than they charge or way more than, you know, is expected, but then don't uh, let the other person off the hook, so to speak, and say, hey, like, I, I know that you will pay this forward. I know if they're not looking to have it back or I know, you know, you'll pay me what you think is right or, or whatever the case is, then you can let the law of reciprocity go to work. Yeah, yeah, I think that's accurate. And I think it was another book, uh, by Adam Grant, where he's talk, uh, talking about like how they did this study, because I think culturally in our society, we have this kind of meme, which is like givers are taken advantage of. Yep. So like, don't do it. Yep. Otherwise, you're kind like, boys, you're kind up. boys don't get the girls, right? Yeah. So, so what I'm aware of is, is he, well, when he did that study, because they studied like people's um, trajectory in a corporate setting in terms of advancement. And there was some truth to that. Oh, yeah. Disagreeable people, people advance more. Yeah. Well, people who give a lot, they disproportionately, they would end up uh, at the bottom, but they would also end up at the top. And in the middle were the takers. So people eventually like realized like, oh, this person's just taking. So again, it was cool because as I was saying this to you, I saw your face, you're like, what? And that's what was my experience, which was like, well, well, what's the difference? And what he says in the book is the difference is, is because the ones who end up the top, they set boundaries. Yeah. Right. They set boundaries around it. 100%. So, the, and, and they're very selective and intentional and like kind of purposeful with who they choose to kind of pour in to. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. I think, I, I think that that's, that's accurate. It seems very accurate to me. So you have the givers that never set proper boundaries or frames around their giving. Then you have the takers, which do better than the givers with no expectations. But then obviously uh, the people that who give, with with some good communication yeah yeah that seems spot on and it's been my experience too because I, i've tried different business models uh that some are based predicated on a hundred percent giving others are very like here's the price you know uh mentality and even my own experience has has led itself to those things with the businesses that we form um mm -hmm. since i've just i don't know about you i don't know if you've been that way um but i've like as you evolve you try this idea and you, like it's almost like the pendulum swings you know, until you try and find like, what's, what's the optimal state of being? Yeah. So I think for me at the beginning, it was, uh, cause that's what I was being taught to do was to like lead with authority, you know, like I know, and you don't sort of thing. Yeah. And to be, um, with language patterns, like a little bit more kind of confrontational. And what I learned through again, like 4,000 listing appointments and 10,000 plus hours of prospecting, I would, I would, I would role play twice a day, six days a week. I would record myself doing presentations. I would hand write out the listing presentation, right? But what I learned was, is that there's another way to do it where I can still be like a ninja salesperson, 
uh, and come from a place of contribution. 100%. Like, how can I help and serve? Like little things like, you know, hey, Matt, my job's to help you. It's never to talk to you to do anything. I guess I'm curious. Yeah, you right. You me asking, when you had originally put on the market, was there any reason you were even thinking about selling? You know, or when people say, ah, you know, I think it was this. Yeah, it could be. You know, there's, that's a possibility. That could be what was true. I'm wondering, and then moving on. So I, that's something that I think if you are committed and a serious student, you will learn from observation. Like, oh, this is not the most optimal strategy. It works to a small capacity, but it doesn't work at scale. 100%. What is your vision for the next 12 to 18 months for your life and business? Yeah, so I'm 12 months into a 36-month plan. So what I've learned to do is like, it's, it's like a three-year vision, a one-year plan, and a 90-day focus, right? So um, the vision is, is that as time progresses in the coaching business, what I'm going to start to do is create more leverage there because the way that I initially created it was the same way I did the real estate thing, which is just, you know, like just brute pushing through and taking as many clients as you can. It doesn't matter who, you know, uh, as long as they can pay, they can stay sort of thing. And um, I made a change in my schedule where instead of four calls uh, a month, it's now two calls a month, right? So that was getting back some time. The next iteration is going to be hiring coaches and the cost for me will go up probably double. And then there'll be other coaches. So that'll cre create even more time. And then with um, what I'm doing uh, with EXP uh, with 120 agents, 121 now in 10 months, I envision that in three years being at a thousand. Right. And me being at an EXP event and I, I yell out elite and I have a thousand people that yells out to me builders yeah. because I really view it, Matt. I really do. I view what we're doing there and really what I'm doing just in general as like a ministry in a way, which is like the more people that I can get proximity to. So I'm not interested in fame for my sake. It's more like the more influence I can get, the more people I can help. And that's not, it's not that I can help them with everything because I can't, but I can help them with the things that like I really know right? I can pour out and share with them. Yeah, absolutely. Aaron, man, thank you for sharing about your life and your business and a lot of other things as well. For guys, if you're out there listening, I mean, there's so much to unpack here. I, I would say just the shift alone from net worth creation to cash flow is such a humongous shift because you get your time back now instead of waiting 30 to 50 years to be able to experience the benefits of what you're doing. So Aaron, thank you for going deep on that and all these other things. And guys, write down something you learned, share it with somebody you know so they can hold you accountable. This freedom's acquired one action at a time. And if you take steps day by day before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 